You're listening to a sermon from Church of Christ at Treaty. For more resources, check out cctreaty.org. But we're going to look at today the idea of unity. The idea of unity is Paul's message to the church. Now, our world is divided in multiple ways. We're divided racially, economically, politically, socially, religiously, any way you could possibly dream up, we see division in our world. Jesus spoke about this and about being unified. In one of the most important prayers that he prayed on the night before Jesus was gonna go to the cross, he did what he always does and he interceded for the church. He prayed on behalf of his followers. And just a few hours before he was even arrested, I wanna read in John 17 what Jesus prayed as it launches us into our message from Ephesians today. Uh, Follow along with me, he says in verse 20 of chapter 17, and this is Jesus's prayer. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete what? Unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, he says, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. What a powerful prayer. Jesus could have prayed for strength before he went to the cross. Jesus could have prayed for us to be bold and strong before he went to the cross. But instead, Jesus, the son of God, prayed that we would have unity. He prayed for Christian unity so that it would impact the world, that the world would believe in God and the Jesus that God sent, his one and only son. In Ephesians 4, where we're gonna be at today, 1 through 16, Paul is gonna talk about what brings unity into the church. And I'm gonna break it up in sections here. But Paul says that unity comes when four different things happen. And the first thing he says is in Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. But what he's gonna tell us is that unity comes when we lead a life worthy of our calling. Unity comes when we lead a life worthy of our calling. Listen to how he says it in verse one. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, the church, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Paul charges the church to live with humility. He charges us to live with gentleness. He charges us to be patient, to make allowances, to allow for other people to make mistakes and to have faults. Is this description true for you? 
If we're honest, if I'm honest, there's lots of times where I'm not very gentle. There's lots of times where I'm not very patient, but I'm striving and I hope we're all striving and growing and learning because the truth is when we do this, when we live with humility, with gentleness, with patience, God makes things turn out better. I've learned a lot of hard lessons in my life. One of the things that I've learned when you're dealing with people is when you use humility, when you use gentleness, for sure, in parenting with patience, amen? It brings unity. When we live that way, it brings unity. It brings peace, the bond of peace in our relationships. When we live with humility and gentleness and patience, allowing for other people to make mistakes. And Paul says, we will see unity when we live a life worthy of our calling, when Jesus called us to himself, when we live with patience, humility, and gentleness, that we'll see unity. In verses four through six, he gives us a second thing. And he says, we'll see unity when we focus, if you're a note taker, on our common beliefs. We'll see unity when we focus on common beliefs. Here's how Paul says it in verses four through six. There is, say it with me, one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One body, one spirit, one glorious future, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. Do you get the point? Paul's saying that as believers, as those who follow Jesus, we have some things in common, amen? It's really easy to focus on things that we don't have in common with people. But as followers of Jesus, we have some things in common and they're really, really important. We have some things that we believe, some things that hold us together in unity. But you know what? There's a thousand other things that Paul doesn't mention. Did you notice that? There's a thousand other things he doesn't mention. He doesn't say that you have to agree on everything. In fact, you can't agree on everything. And if we did, that would destroy unity. If we believe that Paul meant we have to all agree, that would destroy unity. If you or I or other Christians disagree on some things, it's okay, right? If we disagree on some things, it's okay. It shouldn't destroy our unity. It's okay. Psychology Today ran a story about Prince Martinet of Granada, and I thought this was interesting. He was an heir of a Spanish crown about 200 years ago. He was convicted of treason. So they put him in jail for 33 years in solitary confinement and a place that they called the place of the skull. They gave him one book for the entire time of his confinement, and it was the Bible. So for 33 years, he had nothing else to read. He read the Bible hundreds and hundreds of times, knew it forwards and backwards, and when they came and cleaned out his cell after he passed on, they found notes written all over the walls using nails that he had written things out. And the notes were things like this. I found this interesting. He wrote down Psalms 118.8 is the very middle verse of the Bible. He wrote down that Ezra 7.21 contains all the letters of the alphabet except for the letter J. He wrote down that the ninth verse of the eighth chapter of Esther is the longest verse in the Bible. He wrote down that no word or name had more than six syllables that could be found in the Bible. 
Many other facts of trivia written all over the walls. The guy spent 33 years studying the greatest, most powerful book of all time, and all he learned were some facts. And from what we know about his life, he never decided to follow Jesus. He became an expert in trivia. He could have went on uh, Jeff Foxworthy's uh, Bible trivia kids TV show and just cleaned house. And the truth is, my friends, a lot of us, a lot of people have become church experts at Bible trivia. We know all the doctrines and we could argue and defend all day long, but we just don't do it. We don't put our knowledge into practice. We don't go out and actually love people. We don't go out and actually serve people. We don't do very many things that Jesus did. We study the Bible and we defend it and argue about it. And Paul says that we will see unity when we focus on our beliefs that we have in common. The third thing he says in Ephesians 7 through 12 of chapter four is we'll see unity when we use our gifts. But to each one, he says, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. Verse nine, well, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Talking about Jesus, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service so that, catch this, the body of Christ may be built up. Each of us has a gift. Now, this is just one list in the Bible, and this list includes things that all edify the church, but I think we can make a strong case that every list of spiritual gifts in the Bible was meant to accomplish one thing, and that was to build up the church of Jesus. Your gift that God gave you was meant to be used for one purpose. That's to edify the body of Christ, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. All of us, every single one of you has at least one gift and we are equipped and called to be equipped to use our gifts for his glory to build up the church. I have a picture of uh, the redwood, giant redwood trees in California. If you've ever been out there, maybe you've seen these, Um, but these trees are unbelievable. Raise your hand if you've ever been out there and seen these. Okay, so you have a much greater appreciation of this uh, than I do, but it's something that I really wanna see in person one day. These trees are absolutely amazing. They're some of the oldest, largest living trees in the world. Some of them, it says, can span 300 feet high, hundreds of years old. You would think that these trees would have an incredibly deep root system, right? Like how in the world can something be held up like this? But they don't. Look at the root system. It's not very deep at all. Wow, ooh. Um, But here's the thing, how do they survive? How do these trees survive? Tornadoes and floods. It's because although their root system is super shallow, redwood trees' roots all are intertwined. They're all tied together. They're all connected to each other. They're interlocked. In order for a storm to blow down a redwood tree, you have to blow down the entire forest. 
It would have, you, you would have to destroy the whole thing because of the power in their shallowness, but they're locked together. That's why when storms come and when winds blow and when rains come, these trees stay standing. Listen, for years, hundreds of years, these trees have interlocked, come together and sustained each other. They need each other to survive. Listen, church, so do we. So do we. When we become a part of God's family, which we celebrated last week, we celebrate every week, we are bound together in unity and community of faith. We're not always super deep, but we need each other. That's the way we were created to be. Belonging to Christ means that you belong to his church, that you belong not to a building, but to each other. And when we start using our gifts that God's given us, when we do our part, it's like all of the roots are locking together, just like the redwoods. And we're intertwining and connecting with each other. And when we do that, listen, nothing can stop us. When there's unity, you can't knock it down. When churches are intertwined, when believers intertwine, nothing can stop them. If somebody is going to take us down, they're gonna have to take down the whole church. Right? If you're gonna take us down, you better take down the whole church that Jesus built. And the Bible says the gates of hell don't stand a chance, amen? Not even the, the greatest powers of this dark world that we live in can stop the church. If you're gonna take down this church, you've gotta take down the whole church because we're unified when we use our gifts. The fourth thing that Paul says is we'll see more unity when we decide to grow up when we decide to no longer be children. He says this in verses 13 through 16, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, he says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, from Christ, the whole body joined, held together by every supporting ligament grows, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul says, listen, then we will no longer be like children. Now there's a lot of really good things about children. I was at a wedding reception last night I love watching kids dance. Like they just don't care, right? There is not a bad move in their book. Like they are rolling around, flipping their hands, feet in the air. They just don't care. And we kind of go out there and go like, <laughs> right? So we can learn from their like childlike faith. But here what Paul is talking about isn't necessarily age, it's immaturity, right? He's not saying like don't, we, we need to stop acting like five-year-olds He's or stop being five-year-olds. He's saying we need to stop acting like five-year-olds. We need to be more mature. When we change our minds continually, growing and growing more under the lordship and headship of Jesus, not just going, oh, here's a cool teaching. Here's a cool teaching. Here's something new. Here's something cool. Here's like, no, we're being led by the Lord, not by the wind and the blowing of the cultural trend or the new thing or the new idea, but instead being led by God under the Lordship of Jesus through his word. And Paul tells us in that passage, four ways that we can do that. We hold on to the truth. We hold on to the truth in love. Second, we become more like his son, Jesus. 
Third, it says we do our own work that God prepared for us. And then at fourth, it says that we help the other people grow. That until we work together, supporting each other, helping each other grow, we won't see unity. These are the things that create a strong, unified, united church. And I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about the big C, capital church, all over this city and around the world. You remember probably the story about the miners that were trapped for three days not too long ago in the news. Um, but CNN interviewed those guys that survived. There were nine of them. And it says in their interview, they decided early on that they were either all going to die together or they were all gonna live together. The, the water, it says, was 55 degrees and they were nearly, I mean, it would have killed them with hypothermia. So it says, according to the report, when one of them would get cold, the other eight would huddle around them until they warmed up. And then when another got cold, they would return the favor and just keep doing that over and over. Everybody, they said, had strong moments. One of the miners told the reporters when he was released, at any certain time, maybe one guy would get down, the rest of us would come together and pull him up. And then that guy would get back up. Someone else would be weak, and then we would come together around them. It was a team effort. That's the only way we could have done it, he says. This is a picture, I believe, of the body of Christ. All of us have times of strength when we can help other people, but all of us go through trials, amen? All of us, we have problems when we need the help from other people. And when we're pulling together, supporting each other, then when someone else is cold, we can lift them up. We're either gonna live together or we're going to die together. That's what's happening across the world in churches without unity we can't make it, but we can look at history and we can see it's not that simple, right? We can, eat, we can preach and we can be, amen, yeah, unity, amen. But if we look historically, there was a guy named Gordon Melton who has made his living studying different denominations because he's fascinated. It's a hobby for him. And a few years ago, he had counted, it says, up to about uh, over 1,100 different denominations, and what he found was how did most of these churches come about? They weren't new churches, right? It wasn't like somebody just said, hey, let's start this church. What it was, was church splits. It was churches that were divided, churches that were causing division. And every time that the church would split, they would add something to their name. And so he says in some of the articles, that's how you end up with denominations like this the Holy Eastern Orthodox Catholic and Apostolic Church of America, <laughs> right? It's like, then they split and it's the more Holy Eastern Orthodox Catholic Apostolic Church of America. You get the idea, right? We need unity and we need it not just within our church, but we need it within the church, amen? I don't know, maybe we're not all on the same page on this, but the church in Wabash is bigger than us. Yeah? I hope, I hope that's what we believe. It's bigger than us and, and we need it. And, and we don't just need it within our church. We need it in our city, in the capital C church. And so I wanna close briefly. I wanna give three ways that I believe we can uh, see unity in our city and in, in the churches around us. And the first one is this, we bring unity to the capital C church 
when we focus, some of this is coming from exactly what Paul just said. When we focus on the absolutes of scripture, when that's our focus, those are the unchanging foundations of the Bible. For example, Jesus is the son of God, amen? We are not the only church in the city that believes that, right? And so we focus on these things, that, that Jesus is the son of God, that God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet one God. The Bible is God's word, amen? These are things we believe here. So I hope you're with us that eternal life is based on the work of Jesus, his death on the cross, his life, his resurrection. These are absolute things. And the truth is there are lots of churches that agree with these things. There's also interpretations, which are important. It's when we read the Bible and we have something explained to us and we apply the scripture to our lives. These are really, really important things. But listen, the Bible is inerrant. There is no error in scripture. However, our interpretation can be, right? The Bible is inerrant, but we can interpret it incorrectly. That's, that's I'm wrong, not God, right? Then there's things that we deduce where we look at the totality of scripture and we don't necessarily see the exact answer, but we can make a deduction based on what God says in his word and we draw conclusions on these things. And then there's the really important one, our preferences, right? Which are things like, what kind of music are we gonna have? How long is our service gonna be? How long are we gonna let the guy preach? What are we gonna wear when we go there? What color is the carpet gonna be? Are we gonna eat inside of our church? Are we gonna not eat inside of our church? Are we gonna use instruments, preferences? Now, inside of this church, we teach absolutes from the stage. We're gonna teach the Bible. We're gonna teach our interpretations as leadership and the things that we've deduced. And we are going to follow preferences. And we're not all having the same ones. But outside of here, in the greater C church, we focus on what we have in common. We, we find what we have in common and we start there. Does it mean that we're not challenging and encouraging and teaching? Absolutely doesn't mean that we don't do those things. But if I meet someone tomorrow, my first question isn't gonna be, what kind of carpet are you looking for in the church that you attend? I wanna know what they believe about Jesus. And I wanna to talk to them about the Bible and I wanna read scripture with them. But if I meet someone that says, listen, preacher, I don't think Jesus is the only way to heaven, well, we're gonna have a problem, right? But if I meet somebody that says, you know, I really think that uh, you should uh, wear a suit and tie when you preach, that's fine. We can be on the same team still, right? See what I'm saying? But like, until we focus on the main thing, there's never gonna be unity in the greater C church. I, I think that's important. Um, the second thing is we'll see more unity in the big C church when, oh, this is, this is a toe stepper, guys, for me. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself today. You all are here for lunch. That's fine. We'll wrap this up. But we bring unity to the church, listen, when we practice supportive speech and action towards other people. The key word, supportive speech and action towards other people. I don't do this perfectly, but I try really hard to never talk negatively about other churches. I know I fail. God help me, I'm sorry. But I try really hard to not talk negatively about churches in this city. A lot of the pastors and preachers and ministers are actually my friends. They're people that I really, really like. 
and I've gone out of my way to get to know some of them. I'm a part of a group called WAMA that meets uh, every month and, and dreams about what God could do in our city. I pray on Thursdays with different ministers from all over the city. But even if they weren't my friends, my goal, our goal is to support each other. That's our goal because God blesses us. God blesses the church when we're unified. There's only one church in Wabash. There's one God, one Father, one Lord, one baptism. There's one church that meets in a lot of different locations. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't places that teach wrong things, that there aren't places that are teaching heresy across the world for sure, but we're never gonna see unity until we practice supporting each other in speech and action. Anybody like the Lord of the Rings? Some of you? All right. Well, it's about a group of individuals who are called the Fellowship of the Ring. I'll give you a quick summary. And they're trying to destroy the power of the Dark Lord by getting and destroying the ring, right? I mean, that's the whole premise of it. The members of this group though, are they very similar? No, they're extremely diverse. You have an elf, a dwarf, a wizard, hobbits, and men, right? So there's different races, different physical attributes, different temperaments. In fact, the only place that they have unity is in what? In wanting to oppose the Dark Lord, right? So there's a section of the book that they didn't include in the movie, but there's a heated conflict and, and there's uh, axes drawn and bows and harsh words and disasters about to strike when peace at last prevails, one of the wise people observes this. He says, indeed, in nothing is the power of the dark Lord more clearly shown than in the estrangement that divides everyone who opposes him. Listen, there's a lot of church-like truth in that message. That even today, Satan, the dark Lord, the one that we should all stand in opposition shows his power when he causes division and conflict in the church. When we divide, the very ones who seek to oppose the, the ways of the world, the, our flesh, what Jesus has overcome when we divide. That's why one of Jesus's biggest priorities and ours should be unity. When we focus on the absolutes of scripture, when we practice supporting each other, and finally, when we bring unity to the church, when we pray to what I call raise the water level of the Holy Spirit. I know there's a lot of people in this area that like going to the reservoir, that like getting on boats. If you would go to a marina and you would watch a tide roll in, what happens to the water? It rises, right? When the water rises, do some of the boats go up and some of them go down? No, they all go up, right? When the water level rises, every single boat rises. It's not like they, they have a choice. And in different cities across our world, we see different levels of spiritual involvement. A lot of areas in the Midwest, people would say that, that Christian involvement is up to about 40 to 50%. That might not sound like a lot, but that's the national average right now. About 40% of people in the Midwest attend church, care about Jesus, are involved in spiritual growth and spiritual commitment. That's a, actually a pretty generous Number, if you go to the Northeast or some other parts of the country, you would see that like 5% um, uh, of the people are engaged in church at all. That's why if you go to the two coasts, you see tons of church plants because it's a very unreached, unchurched 
area. But my point in all of this is, can you imagine if in Wabash, the spiritual level of our city went from 40% to 60%? Like, can you imagine what would happen? If, if all of a sudden that many more people started attending church, that many more people started reading the word, where would all these people go to church? We wouldn't be able to hold them. Like if, if every single person in our city decided tomorrow that they all wanted to start going to church, I don't think we've got enough room in our churches. And so we won't see unity until we're actually praying for the spirit of God to move when we're asking God to do a work in our city, when we pray for our community, we're praying that God, listen, would bless every church, every single one. I hope that someone in some church right now is getting baptized into the water in Christ, amen? And I will like that post, love that post, and comment on that post and show my support because I celebrate just like the angels when anyone lost gets found. It's not a competition. Every church would be full if the spiritual level, the spiritual water level of our city grew. And so we are looking for unity by focusing on the Bible, by practicing loving and supportive speech of other people, and by praying that the water level would rise. So my question is, are we dividers or are we unifiers? Are we dividing things or are we unifying things? Because our influence is either bringing people together or it's bringing people away from each other. We're either dividing or we're unifying. What would the people around you say when they're in conversation? Would they say, man, every time I talk to them, they just always wanna debate and tell me why I'm wrong or why I think the wrong way? Or would they say, you know what? I know we don't agree on everything, but we're worshiping Jesus together, right? Are we unifiers? Or are we dividers? I wanna close and I just wanna read the prayer that John prayed again, but I want us to own this prayer. And this is partly why I wanna get together today at the city park. Not because it's like this side of town doesn't matter, but it's kind of a central part for our city. And I really do wanna pray today with whoever will show up that God would do a work in the whole entire city. Like there are kids in all of our public schools and all of our private schools that are going through trials and tribulations and disaster. There's, I mean, our city has an unbelievable amount of like reduced and free lunches. We've got kids that can't read. Like we need the work of the Lord in our schools and in our homes and in our churches. Our politicians need the Lord more than ever, right? Like I'm not praying that these politicians agree with me. I'm praying that they would surrender their life to Jesus because I'm trying to agree with Jesus, right? And when we all agree with him, that's when we see unity. So I'm gonna close and I wanna pray this prayer of Jesus. And I want us to internalize this for ourselves today. Jesus says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, through the work that you guys are gonna do, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory 
the glory that you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world doesn't know you, I know you and they know that you've sent me and I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let's close.